I'm former Congressman Gary Franks. And I'm his son, Gary. I'm millennial. We're discussing everything from politics to sports and pop culture. From very different perspectives. We speak frankly. My number three individual would be one in which truly changed the game. He wasn't the number one go-to guy on this team, but if it, they didn't have him, let me tell you, I'm not sure how many championships the Celtics would have won. I'm not sure if they won those three championships. I really am not sure. And that is Kevin McHale because he just changed the game. He had a, he had a low post game that was phenomenal. He scored in the paint anytime he won it, and he had a little jump shot. I mean, he you know he couldn't shoot like you know from like Kevin Garnett. I said his name is Kevin McHale. He's not Kevin Garnett. <laughs> he didn't shoot threes, but he was able to score. And his shooting percentage, Gary, from the field was 55%. That's a phenomenal. I know we talked about how miss, a lot of missed shots was taking place during the 60s and to a certain degree in the 70s. But in the 80s, you know, at any time, quite frankly, when you're shooting 55% and they're all, not all dunks, Tim Duncan or, you know, Admiral, you know, when they're not shots of that nature, that's really impressive. And he, most of his career, or not most, but a good portion of his career was as a sixth man for the Celtics. Now, granted, the Celtics did that. They had John Havlicek as a sixth man. They had Tommy Heinsohn as a sixth man. All those guys are in the Hall of Fame now. So that was a tradition for the Celtics to do that, to start someone in, that, in one of the spots. And, and when the game was over, you, the, the guy who started the game, didn't even, he didn't even need to take a shower because he, was, he wasn't sweating anymore. He was like, relaxed Because Mikhail or Heinsohn or or have a check, but, but finish the game. And that's the same way the Celtics were for a number of years with, with McHale. And then eventually they started him and he became part of the big three with Larry Bird and Parrish. They were an outstanding team, but he was one of the most integral parts of that team. Six times he was all NBA first team defensive. First six time all defensive player. Uh, I mean, all defense team. That That's hard to do. Not many players can say they made the all-defensive team six times. Now, his arms were just absolutely so long that sometimes he would block shots and not even jump. He was just put his hand up and the guy would just somehow block the shot and he jumped. I'm only kidding. But the bottom line of it is his wingspan was just incredible. And he had great, I mentioned his footwork before from an offensive perspective, and it was out, it was unbelievable. But he also was able to move his feet so, so very well guarding anybody. He was 6'10", 6'11", so... No one could just shoot over him anyhow. But if they didn't have him, the Celtics, I don't think they would have won three championships. Seven times all-star, an all-star. And once again, all those numbers are down because he wasn't even a starter for a number of years. And one year, he was actually first team All-NBA. So uh, I have uh, Kevin McHale, even though he averaged just 18 points a game, he's got 7.5 rebounds a game. I have him in the number three spot as the third best power forward during the period of time up until 1990s. Well, this was the easiest selection you know, of the power forwards for this uh, time period. Kevin McHale is, for me as well, a third as well. And I, and I have to agree with you. I don't think they would have won any championship without Kevin McHale. He was the second best player on their team. Charles Barkley said he was the toughest guy for him to guard. Mm. And it makes sense, uh, especially from Charles. Charles was 6'5", and Kevin McHale was, you know, uh, besides Akeem Olajuwon, was probably the best post scorer the NBA has seen. And if he actually had his own team, you know, who knows um, how high um, he would have gone, you know, on this 
not just this list, but the all-time list. You know, he definitely had to sacrifice a lot. And in fact, I believe that uh, his career high, you know, with the Celtics with 59 points, obviously Larry Bird got 60, the, you know, I believe the next night or something. Mm-hmm. But Kevin McHale, uh, you know, was able to put up points at an extremely high level. And, you know, he was very good at guarding his position, especially when he was guarding with, going against the Lakers with uh, Kareem and, uh, you know, that Laker team. Uh, so, no, I agree with you. Kevin McHale deserves, this, you know, the third spot. And, Gary, you know how hard it is to be first-team All-NBA? And he did that. First-team, not second, not third. First-team NBA in 1987. You know, it's – um, <laughs> I mean, he had a great, he had a great year. Uh, that was the year when he was with the Celtics. He averaged 26 points a game that year. He shot 60% from the field. And he got 9.9 rebounds a game while shooting 84% from the free throw line. Pretty good numbers. So I could see why he was the first team All-NBA that year in 1986-87 season. But the bottom line of it is he finished the next few years. It was 22, 23, 20. You know, and so his numbers could have been a lot higher overall because his first few years in the NBA, they didn't play him that much. He, was, he just came off the bench, played about 20 minutes in his first year, 28 minutes his second year, 28 minutes his third year. So he averaged like 10 points, 13 points, 14 points. And then once they started playing him, you know, the numbers went up dramatically. And then in his last few years, uh, he, he didn't play as much, and nor did he score as much. So his average of 18 is really, really, um, it, 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 it can fool you. Because when he, in his peak, he was uh, he was one of the best. He was just one of the best from any position. Glad we agree on that one as well, Gary. Number five and number three we agree on. And to me, you know, winning sixth man of the year two times, you know, once again, you know, why? But why are we six men? But anyway, we understand that that's the substance philosophy. But that's that's another achievement that you have to that, that I like to recognize. And uh, yeah, I like the guy. I like him as a as a play by play or analyst, etc. He he's just a uh, just a good guy. And so I'm not surprised Charles said what he said about him because he did give Charles headaches, and Charles gave him headaches, right? Frankly, and so they were. It was great for the fans to be able to see. And once again, you know, Gary, it's a situation where it's a player who was with that one team his entire career, and I, I just love that. And it's just great for sports. And Kevin McHale had all of his achievements playing for the Celtics. As I said before, the last three I think are. For me, they weren't as difficult, but you may disagree with the order in which I have these individuals. And that is number two for me would be the Big E. That is what he was referred to when he played in college. And to a certain degree, they referred to him as the Big E when he was playing in the NBA. And that is Alvin Hayes. Alvin Hayes, Gary, um, never got the attention that he, he truly, truly deserved throughout his career. In college, he was playing under the shadow of a guy by the name of Blue Elsender. And so he would hold the distinction of playing in a college game that was viewed by more people in the history of college, in history of college basketball. In fact, maybe in the history of basketball, it was held at the, uh, at the Superdome or the Astrodome, one of those, Astrodome, I'm sorry, it was held at the Astrodome. And they had 53,000 fans at that game. And Alvin Hayes outplayed Blue Elsender. He scored 39 points and had 15 rebounds. And they beat UCLA, which at the time broke a 47-game winning streak that the, that the uh, UCLA Bruins had in basketball. 
but he was always like that second fiddle, and he always worked harder than than everyone else. And so you had to give him the due credit. But it was always and everything. And then you know, in the NBA, he just plodded along, but kept on putting up the numbers and kept on putting up the, the achievements. He was a player who averaged 21 points a game, 12.5 rebounds a game, and two blocks a game. And so when he retired, there are very few players who had scored more points in his career. He was in the top 25 as points scored in his career. He was in the top 25 as, as, as the most rebounds that anyone ever got gotten in his career. And he was in the top 25 of all time of players who would have blocks. His number of blocks was also in the top 25. He averages a career two blocks a game. 12 times he was an all-star. Once again, they won the NBA title the last time the Bullet or now the Wizards have won an NBA title. They won that in 1977. He was six times all-NBA, three times first team, three times second team. It's a scoring title. He won that as well in 1969. Two times he won the NBA uh, rebound, rebounding title. Great player. Just never got his due credit, but you cannot deny his, his impact on, on the game. It was, uh, it was really something to behold. And I remember, once again, as I said earlier, his collegiate career was also very outstanding. It was an outstanding collegiate career. Two times he was first team All-American. Player of the Year in college in 68 by everyone's assessment. Um, Associated Press, Sporting News, UPI. He was a great player for the Houston, uh, the University of Houston, the Cougars. He was a great NBA player, and I have him as the, as the second best power forward from that period of time going back to the 50s, 60s to 1990. And he, when we get to, to ranking our top 10 power forwards of, of all time, I, I believe um, this guy is going to crack that number. He, he will be in that number of the top 10 of all time as well. It was just to me, that's that great of a player. Well, for me, a two and one was difficult because at first, I don't know if I should count uh, a certain individual's uh, accomplishment because of the time period that we were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, when I went on ESPN, I noticed when they did their top uh, 10 power forwards, they had Kevin McHale ahead of my number two, who's also Elvin Hayes, which I thought was very interesting. Mm-hmm. And he was also ahead of probably our number one as well, which I thought was just wrong. But, you know, that's either here or there. Uh, Elvin Hayes was was uh, during his uh, career was probably the most consistent player um, in the NBA, averaging twenty and ten, you know, for twelve straight seasons, finishing eleventh um, all time in scoring. And at the time, I'm sorry, he was eleventh all time. Now, when he retired, he was obviously a lot higher on the list. And um, and also when he retired. He was also number one in minutes played at 50,000 minutes. Obviously, a lot of guys have played more minutes than that um, now. But, uh, again, he was the number two guy on a – well, yeah, he was the number two guy, but he was definitely the number one scorer on the uh, on the Bullets team. Uh, so, you know, another easy choice uh, being number two on the list, uh, Elvin Hayes. Okay, Gary. And once again, Alvin Hayes, he played during my, my era, so I uh, got to see him a lot on, on TV and 
you know, they had Wes Unsell really took up all the oxygen in the room. But God rest his soul, we, we actually had a chance to, to be around him when we went to a lot of the Wizards games. He passed away recently. But, you know, Alvin Hayes, I tell you, needless to say, without Alvin Hayes, they would not have won. They would have not won that NBA championship. That's That goes without saying. So uh, I feel comfortable with Alvin Hayes being at number two spot, and I do see him being potentially in the top ten of all-time power forwards. Before you get to your number one, I also want to say congratulations to West Unsell Jr. for becoming the Washington Wizards uh, head coach. I did not know that. Yeah, I did not know that. I'm very happy for him as well. Then no, his father was a class act, and I'm sure his son. Um, well, yeah, what do they say? The apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. So I, I wish him nothing but the best in his career with the uh, very difficult challenge. Like <laughs> oh talking about being thrown to the wolves. Maybe they should call themselves that, the Washington Wolves. Maybe the they were the Washington Redskins. Oh, I'm sorry, the Washington Football Team. Should think of Wolves, but anyhow, um, moving right along. <laughs> Let me say something else before before you go to that point. We already have a Wolves. They're called the Minnesota Timberwolves. Oh, but, uh, you're right. You're but, right. But they, but, hey, wait a minute. We don't. I'm talking about football now. The Washington team. I'm so embarrassed to be a so-called Washington team fan. You can't come up with a name in over 12 months. Everybody should be fired. I'm, t- I'm sorry. The owners should be forced to fire, to, 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 to relinquish the team, and everybody should be fired. It ain't hard to come up with a name for your team. You should not be calling your team the Washington football team. Hey, I got a clue for you. If you want to go with that theme, call yourself the Washington Anonymous, Okay. And at least it has a better ring to it than the football team. At least it shows that you tried to come up with a name. I know I digress. But I like to spend a segment on the, on the fact that this one, that the NFL has a football team that's called the football team. And I think that is so stupid. And for a whole year to go by and not be able to come up with a name, you can have contests, you can do this, you do that, is really an embarrassment that goes beyond any type of sports embarrassment that I ever can that I can even ever think of, quite frankly, because it's that bad. It is that bad. And to put our fans, no, we know you don't really respect the fans, and you haven't shown that in the way you've treated your players and the teams you put together, and that's very obvious. But to go and give the fans no name for, for an entire year, oh, that's a, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's another clue. Washington, no names. How about that? That's better than football team, okay? Go to Washington, no names. You can follow that, no names. Maybe because you play so poorly, you don't want anyone to know your name. So maybe that would be a good name for the Washington team. But football team, guys, you got to get rid of that, okay? You got to get rid of that. Hey, Gary, we should make sure that's added to our segment, the little segment, and the Washington people who cannot come up with a name. (laughs) That should be a little bit of a segment because – it is that ridiculous that you should be embarrassed by the fact that you can't do one of the most basic things, and that is have a name for yourself. Oh, boy. So anyhow. Yeah, so all I got to say when it comes to that is WFT is very similar to WTF, and it doesn't surprise me that the Washington football team does not have a name yet because Dan Snyder is the owner of the Washington Well, it's, it's the epitome of, of why they're in the, in the position they, they're in. They can't decide anything. <laughs> no one can pull the trigger. No one can just make a decision. That's what it tells. It's, it's always the epitome of what we have gone through as Washington Red, right? Or whatever. Fans. 
Well, I'm when not you can't even decide on what your name should be, how in the hell are we supposed to figure out who's going to be the quarterback? It's symptomatic of their problem. It is symptomatic of their problem. They can't decide anything. That's the easy thing to decide. Oh, every once in a while, you got to decide every 10, 15, 20 years. Let's see. Are we going to be in Washington? Or are we going to be in Maryland? Or are we going to be in Virginia? I know that was a real tough one, too. But bottom line of it is, you know, that, I'm talking about where they're going to play from. You know, not, you know they're where the stadiums are going to be built. These aren't hard decisions, folks. The name is probably the most, it's very easy. I mean, you could have kept it the same. That's, not, that's the third idea. Until you had a name. How about that? So I gave you three options. The Washington No Names, the uh, Washington Anonymous, and go back to the Redskins and say, well, until we come up with a new name, we're going to stick with the Redskins. Those are your three options for teams, for a bunch of group of players who can't, uh, ownership, who can't decide on one of the easiest things to decide on. And everybody, your entire fan base, would even help you with that one. You don't need the help of the fan base to decide who's going to be your quarterback. You don't need the help of the fans to decide who's going to be your number one draft pick. You can't decide that anyhow. You can't get that right and haven't gotten that right for so many so many years. But this one is an easy one. I'm going to borrow a basketball phrase. It's a layup. So my number one player, and I'm going to let you explain a lot of this individual. Um, I was able to watch highlights of it uh, before the show. And it's Bob Pettit. Now, I have to redeem myself as a person that, you know, that credits himself on knowing a lot about the game of basketball. I accidentally left Bob Pettit off of our top 50 list last year. And I was very wrong for doing so because just simply he's a two-time MVP. So any two-time MVP besides Steve Nash should be on the list. <laughs> uh, and the fact that he won the only championship um, in the history of the, at the time, the St. Louis Hawks is another reason why he should have been on the list. But I'm going to let you I'm talk about Bob Pettit more since you've actually seen him play. Yes, Gary, and I agree. I have him also as the number one power forward from the beginning of basketball, 50s, 60s. Not, that's not the beginning, but from that, from that period of time until 1990. And it's not, even, it's not even close. I mean, the guy, Gary, there's no one. When I was a little kid, there's no one who dominated the game like Bob Pettit. It was a situation where every week on the basketball game of the week, we only got basketball once a week on, on national TV. It was the Hawks. The Hawks are playing. Whoever the Hawks are playing, that's, that's, that's who they covered. I mean, it was very similar to what we've, been, what we've gone through with, with another player who will go nameless at this point. <laughs> but you know who I'm talking about. Every other week, he was on, and and I'm telling you, almost once a month, the Hawks played the Celtics. I mean, it was just they had to have that matchup, and that was like the classic of classic. And I'm not sure what the ratings were for those games, but I mean, it was off. It was out of out of space. It was off the roof because everyone wanted to see Bob Pettit play against the Celtics, and he never disappointed. Gary he was a fa he, he no player scored tw he scored twenty thousand points faster than any other player in the history of the game. That's because Wilt was just coming up at the time. But I still, I still, that's a remarkable achievement. Because, you know, I stretched it because he actually played in the 50s. He played his first year was in 1954. I was just a baby. You know, 54, 55. And he played only 10 years until 1965. But his numbers were just absolutely incredible. And I said before, Gary, that players did not shoot that well during the 60s. 
Well, you could look at some of his shooting percentages, and they were sometimes they were low forties, you know, forty one percent, forty two percent. But he, for the most part, his career was about forty four percent, and at that time, someone shooting forty four percent was really outstanding, and he shot about seventy six percent from the free throw line while getting 16.2 rebounds a game. One year, he averaged over 20 rebounds a game, Gary, and scored 28 points a game. <laughs> that is that is really, really incredible. And many years, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years, seven of his 10 years of playing, he averaged over 25 points a game. Just absolutely incredible numbers. So I have him as uh, as the best power forward of that period, Gary. And he's 88 years old. He's probably the oldest former basketball living Hall of Famer as well at 88. He's a great player. 11 times an All-Star, 10 times first-team All-NBA. His rebounding average, Gary, only two people have averaged more rebounds than Bob Pettit. And they didn't And we play. know who those guys are. And we know who those guys are. <laughs> and keep in mind, they didn't play power forward either. So there's no power forward in the history of the game who got more rebounds than Bob Pettit. And the other two guys obviously were centers, Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain. Two scoring titles as well. Just a great player. One year he averaged 31.1 points a game. And once again, prior to Wilt Chamberlain getting all you know revved up, so to speak, that was an incredible number uh, to average that many points a game. So Bob Pettit was the easy pick. He will be in my top 10 of all time. When it comes to that, of the greatest power forwards, he would have to be because no one else can make the statement. Many of the statements I just made, as I said, were the best. And one week I said that Larry Bird was one of the best white players of the history of the game. You know, Bob Pettit, or the best white player in the history of the game. Larry Bird, I, I still can, you know, stick to that. But this guy definitely uh, would, would rank as uh, just one of the best players, white, black, whatever, to ever play the game. So I want to ask you a question. Did Bob Pettit have a jump shot? Because obviously during this era, a lot of guys did not have that, you know, did not have that to their game. Obviously Elgin Baylor had it. But did he actually have a jump shot or was it more like a set shot? No, it was a jump shot. That that was that that's what made him unique, Gary. Nobody else the other players, Bob Cousy and others, they did they really didn't have a, a real jump shot. They had more of a push shot or set shot, whatever you want to call it. But he had a jump shot. So that's why that's why he at Grant, he was six nine. But no one could ever stop him when he wanted to score. You know, he just he just pulled up and scored because he was he had a jump shot and no one could block it and he was up in the air. So um, he was that that's what made him so great. And then he had a phenomenal nose for the ball, great rebounder as well, and he um, he was very athletic. He was able to run up and down the court and he was able to jump. The jump he was you know he he can get not he wasn't a phenomenal leaper by today's standards. But he was able to to get up in the air. He had good good hop for the, for for that era, and you know it was, he was he was just um, you know when I saw him in All Star game four times, Gary won the MVP in All Star game. It, it was just you know just very special rookie of the year as well. And I mentioned this two times uh, in, in scoring championships. Great college player, you know, an All American in college two of his uh, three years that he played for LSU. And until Pistol Pete came along, he was their all-time scorer, leading scorer. But Pettit was also the, the second player in major college basketball history to average more than 30 points a game. And so that's a, even in college, he was just throwing up just phenomenal numbers. So I'm very comfortable to have him as number one. Let me say some other things real quick, um, mm-hmm. because I got a chance, to, like I said, to watch a little bit 
other highlights because I wanted to know more about putting someone number one. I can't just put him number one without actually knowing anything about him. Uh, what I thought was very interesting is that, uh, you know, the reason why I asked about this jump shot question is because um, he actually mentioned, because they were doing a back and forth interview with him, is that he actually, the only way he actually wanted to do a jump shot was to get more fouls. So he would <laughs> actually do his jump shot and actually jump into the person, hoping they'll call fouls. And yeah, he did that. Work. That's true. He did uh, that. And he also mentioned that he actually gained 30 pounds of muscle by going in the weight room, which I thought was very interesting for those times. So he said he was able to handle a lot of the hits that you know he would get from a lot of the other players um, in that era. And that's how he was able to get so many offensive rebounds. So, you know, just the small things that they don't really mention, obviously, because there's not a lot of full games of, you know, of these um, type of players. But I thought it was very disrespectful that ESPN, which is supposed to be considered the worldwide leader in sports, they have Bob Pettit below Kevin McHale and Alvin Hayes. I don't know how, you you know, I don't even know how you do that. Um, It doesn't even make sense. I get that you didn't see him play, but you have to also understand that that when you do a list, you have to kind of do your homework. It only took me 10 minutes to do my homework, and this is supposed to be a network that claims to be the worldwide leader in sports. And I'm not attacking ESPN in any way, but I am attacking them for this list. Well, Gary, when you pl- when you mentioned basketball back during that time, it was Bob Pettit. I mean, he was – you know, we talk about Giannis being a freak of nature, LeBron or, or even Michael Jordan – that's what Pettit was. I mean, he was like he was six nine, six ten, throwing up jump shots, leading the leading the break on a fast break. He was, you know, dunking the ball. He was grabbing rebounds. He was passing. The, he was he was like he was like, what is this guy? You know, you didn't see six nine guys were like Bill Russell, who did not dribble the ball too often, or like many of these other guys who were six nine, six ten. They did. They they got rid of the ball. They just want the ball underneath the basket. You know, Bob Pettit would just take over the game, and he was. Uh, yeah, you know, he could do it all, just like the players I just mentioned. They, they can, he go coast to coast on people. No one could stop him, he, and he, he was uh, just that, that special. And he knew how to win, and he knew how to will his teammates to victory. So, no, uh, it, it is very disrespectful or downright ignorant because it's, all they have to do is go through some of the clips of the games back then. It's very clear to see that the guy's the best player on the court, and everyone recognized that it was. Who was playing during that time? How do you how do you get to be ten time All NBA? I mean, who, how many people can say that? Can Kevin McHale said he was a ten time All NBA? No. Can could any any of the players that we mentioned say they were? No, none of them. You know, there are some special players that, that played after that from the nineties to today. Gary, no, I'm not going to say there aren't a lot of great power forwards because there are a lot of great power forwards if you look at from 1990 to the present. But prior to that, there was no one even close to this guy who could match what he was, what he meant to his team, as well as what he was able to accomplish. And even of, of all the players of all time, you know, you mentioned Kevin McHale, you mentioned someone else. Uh, what was the other person you mentioned, Gary? Elvin Hayes. Yeah, we praised both. We had McHale number three, we had Hayes at number number two. But you know, there's there's no doubt that even if, quite frankly, if, you, if Bill Russell weren't around, the Celtics weren't so great, he would have far more championships as well. It's because his team was, they were always, you know, battling for, for that championship. And, you know, they did, they did win one. So, no, yeah, I'm disappointed that they don't have him rated higher, Gary. You, you got to respect the numbers. You got to respect the achievements. And you got to respect the fact that he changed the game. Probably the one stat that you mentioned, that you briefly mentioned, that is actually a very big deal is up until 2011, 
he was the only player with four All-Star Game MVPs. Yeah. The only other guy to have that is Kobe Bryant in yep. the history of basketball. That's right. That's right. No, Gary, it was – he was basketball. He was it. I mean, when you saw him in All-Star, you knew, yeah, this guy was going to – he was just fantastic. He was a fantastic player. And, uh, you know, the first player to score more than 20,000 points, I mean, that's that's a pretty strong statement as well. Because career average was 26.4, which probably when he left basketball, it was probably the highest career average of anybody who ever played a game. So when he left, you know, he set numbers that were just – that had never been set before. From so many perspectives, he, he's just one of a kind, and, and I'm pleased to have him as, as a number one. I'm glad you, you recognize yeah, – because we all make mistakes on our list, Gary. It's very difficult. Quite, quite frankly, I initially forgotten about McAdoo, and I said, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, McAdoo. Because I, I don't associate him with anything, you know, with, with – you know, and that's not fair to say, but, you know, he was always, uh, oh, yeah, Bob McAdoo. You know, it was always one of those. He was kind of silent. It was not, you know, didn't have a real strong presence. But, I, you know, so you kind of forget certain people to, to a certain degree. And I'm, I'm glad you recognize that on your top players of all time, you miss putting him on there. But now you put him on this list, and I, I, I commend you for that. And I, and I have shown a lot of love to a person I left off on top 50, and that is Jerry Lucas. You know, I wasn't even on the top 50 of mine, and I, and I have him. You know, mentioned today. Don't forget to subscribe.